Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Compile Swift host, Peter Witham. Hey, Peter. Good to see you again. Hey, Leo. How are you doing today, sir? Busy day? Exhausted. I'm doing exhausted. (laughs) So we uh, are doing a crossover episode, you can call it. So if you want to hear me talk with Peter on Compile Swift about the keynote, you definitely want to check that out. We'll have a link in the show notes if you're interested in that. But today here on Empower Apps, uh, Peter and I are going to talk about the more technical and in-depth and probably less press-friendly state of the platform, state of the union. Uh, before I do that, I do want to let audience members know I am would like to get some input from you as far as how the show is and how it's been going. So please go to the link in the show notes for the podcast survey. Take some time to fill that out. I don't know what I'm going to do as far as like contest-wise. So you may want to fill your email address so I can get a hold of you. I haven't decided yet, but please do uh, give me some input on the show and your thoughts. There's some really simple questions on there. Hopefully it doesn't take too much of your time. I'd really appreciate it. All right. With that, uh, let's get into it and talk about platform state of the union. I thought it was, I wasn't sure at first, you know, I was thinking, oh, it's starting to feel a bit flat this year. But then when they got into a few of the, the areas later on that we'll cover, things started to ramp up pretty quickly. Yeah. I was a little concerned when they said, like, you know, we have lots of APIs. I was like, all right, don't start listing them. Do you remember that year when, I forget who it was, but someone did the joke about, okay, let's get into it. And they started with A and started going through them. And I was like, (laughs) please don't do that. Please don't do that. But I felt it was a good year. And I think that there was enough for surprises, for me at least, that, makes me pretty excited about, you know, how things are going to play out towards the end of the year when this stuff comes out. Yeah. So one of my things I'm a big fan of and I've blogged about and talked about quite a bit is continuous integration. And so this was the year we got to find out what happened to BuildBuddy. And by BuildBuddy, of course, I mean Xcode Cloud. What is your impression of Xcode Cloud? Well, it's funny because... Very quickly, I started to think to myself, boy, this Xcode cloud is starting to sound a little bit like my dream of the Xcode for the iPad in all the ways that it matters. And as they started to unveil the details of what it is, and we'll get into those, I started to think about all the third-party services that I use, that these will either replace some of them or complement them depending on what the actual details of how Xcode Cloud works, right? Because there were some areas that left a lot of questions open that didn't leave me coming away saying this is a complete solution in so much as a partial solution. Right, and I don't think it will be. Yeah, me too. And I think, you know, the first thing I thought of was, well, what about, you know, like the Xcode server bot that if, if anyone's ever gone looking, is inside Xcode that uses a separate user account and those kind of things for some of the builds. Yeah. So like Xcode server used to be a separate thing that you would install, but like, I don't know, in 11 or 12, they just made it part of Xcode. So essentially you can like yeah. make any Xcode instance an Xcode server. Yeah. I'm curious what the difference is. Like Xcode server does not get a lot of love. 
And I feel like this is kind of a replacement for that in a lot of ways, but like more to the moving into the cloud. But then at the same time, like, could you do Xcode cloud on premises? Oh, like, is that available in the same way you could with like GitHub or GitLab? Yeah. Because like that would make sense. That would kind of be nice and make sense. But at the same time, with Apple being, you know, services company, like, are they just going to be like, no, you have to run this in the cloud? Well, you know, that you bring up a good point because I hadn't thought about that until you just said it. You know, there was no hardware announcements, which is fine. Right. But I put way too much money on there being in a MacBook Pro reveal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally got that wrong. It was like we got more, what, Xcode on the iPad ended up happening more than we got. Uh, a new MacBook Pro, which I would have never predicted, <laughs> but oh well. Right. No M2 chip, no, right. you know. But this would actually be, you You raise a good point, this would be a perfect way to bring back the, the, the Mac server, right? If Apple sold me a Mac Mini with, you know, Xcode in the cloud on it for those instances where companies who, you know, behind their own firewalls, things like that, where they cannot risk things getting out to the public. Selling me a box with Xcode Cloud on it would be a perfect way to do yeah. that. And if there's a money if there's a money for it, Apple will do it. Like I that's why like there is Google Maps on premises or whatever, AWS on premises type stuff, hybrid, hybrid cloud situations. Like obviously enterprise if enterprise is interested and Apple is willing to take the money, they'll do it. Like, I don't see there any, be any reason not to. So like, yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about the relationship between Xcode server, Xcode server bots and, and Xcode cloud. And then right. what is the relationship to you talk about third party services? My last episode with, with Josh Holtz who maintains Fastlane. What's the relationship with Fastlane? Because Fastlane does a lot of stuff that CI needs needs to do besides what they talked about. So, like, I was looking when they were showing off that it could take screenshots. I'm like, can I take those screenshots and put a frame on it like I can do with Fastlane? Or could I, if I couldn't do that with Xcode Cloud, could I integrate Fastlane into Xcode Cloud? Like, that's a, that's a big question for me. Like... Because yeah. there's a lot that I can do with a with a CI on GitHub or GitLab, this essentially command line that I don't know if I can do that on Xcode Cloud. And then I don't want to keep going, but the next step then is how do I edit an Xcode Cloud workflow? Because all I saw was a GUI, and that that has me a little bit scared because anytime there's a GUI involved in Xcode, there is some god awful markup language behind it that you had to be like indiana jones to decipher right because <laughs> then it's like a storyboard or an xcode project or yeah or core data model or something that's just like what the heck is going on behind the scenes it's like some weird xml format from the 19 like 90s so those are like the questions that came up during the presentation i, I don't know like what's your thoughts Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about a sponsor of our show, Revenue Cat. If you're doing anything with in-app purchases or subscriptions, you'll definitely want to check them out. Using Revenue Cat to power your in-app purchase infrastructure solves for edge cases that you don't even know you have. It also protects you from outages your team hasn't even seen yet, and it saves you time on future maintenance and features released by the app stores. 
Plus, it empowers your product and marketing teams with clean, reliable in-app purchase data so they can make better decisions to grow your app. All that is to say, Revenue Cat handles all the headaches of in-app purchases so you can get back to building your app. I highly recommend you check Revenue Cat out at revenuecat.com. Give it a try and see how it can empower your product and help it continue to grow. Thank you, Revenue Cat, for sponsoring our show. Yeah, I had some similar thoughts because from a sort of building it, editing it, running it perspective, all we saw was some things in Xcode and some things in App Store Connect, interestingly enough, but that was it. And you're right, because immediately I'm thinking, well, I think didn't Josh tweet the other day about, you know, oh, well, I'm going to have to wait and see what happens this year, what the work I've got to do on Fastlane I think there was something like that. And, and the answer is, <laughs> right, buddy. Right, right. He mentioned that in the last episode. It's like always, there's always something yeah. thing they're going to do. Yeah, so I can answer that for him now. There's a lot for you to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. But you're right, because we want a config file. We, you know, we don't want to jump from here to there in files and apps. Give us all a file we can edit in our editor of choice. And there may be somehow, you know, Xcode Cloud brings it back and reads it or something like that. But it certainly didn't feel that way. It felt very much like there's these two UIs. You're going to do your work in Xcode, a little bit in App Store Connect on the back end. And that's how it's going to be maintained. There's no like web interface for me to go and be like, edit the Seattle file. Okay, great. It it fixed the Xcode Cloud workflow and now it can run. Like that's what I'm used to in most, like, 99% 99% of CIs out there. And like right. without that and having to be tied to Xcode to do every little thing, it's like, yeah, I understand it's a nice UI, but it is it like, it kind of goes back to the iPad argument. I can get a lot done with the iPad, but it's when I need to like really tweak things that I need to turn to the Mac OS and, and have a, like an editor. And it's the same here. It's like the GUI gets me so far, but then when I need to really tweak things quickly, like I just want to go into a text editor and edit the YAML or JSON or even XML right. and just get it done. And it's a bit of a locking too, right? Because what it's saying is, well, you've got to have Xcode installed to do this. So, you know, in all real terms, you've got to have a Mac to do this as well, which, okay, as a, as a, Apple platform developer, I've got the Mac, I've got Xcode, but from a CI perspective or something like that, or even just, you know, a DevOps perspective, someone who may have a Windows or a Linux machine somewhere, and I need them to build a workflow for a build or maintain one or something like that, they're going to much prefer to do that in a web portal or something along there. They're not going to want to have a Mac with Xcode just to maintain this, right? Right. Maybe that could be the next step because obviously they're not, they're not a hurt, in a hurry to put this out. And I mean that in a good way, like in a sense that this isn't going to be available to next year. We'll have a link to the beta in the show notes. You can sign up if you're interested. So so the other thought on that is like, why would they care if you don't have a Mac if they're going to take your money anyways for the service? Because like if they're already paying for the service, it's like fine. If you have Windows, just open up. I don't know. What do they call Internet Explorer now? I forgot what the name is. Uh, open up. Thank you. <laughs> they open it up and, and like edit the the workflow in there, like on some web interface that just has a text editor. Like maybe I, I could see that happening at some point. Maybe it's just not ready, but like 
business-wise, I don't think it necessarily matter for them to make that available. Right. Well, also, because now that I'm thinking about it, when they were saying about, you know, we've got all these wonderful reports you can look at and things like that. Yeah, but I was looking at those reports in Xcode. <laughs> and that in itself is a little weird because for every CI, CD that I've ever used, I normally end up looking at a report in a web browser because I can get to it anyway. So right. that is a little odd. Yeah. So that, that brings up the other thing I was going to say. So you had questions about like the, the repo. And I assume that from what it sounded like to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you have the repo anywhere you want to. Like, I, I think it actually says like you can set up GitHub, GitHub on premise, GitLab, okay. GitLab on premise. Like that actually was in the Xcode cloud documentation from what I looked. And then it basically has like you would set up a, a SSH access key, right? And then it would just be able to download the code or, or clone the repo uh, from Xcode cloud and then build it. Like I would assume that's the case, which is typical with like BitRise. Or like CI or Travis. So. Right. So then my question then becomes is like one of the things going back to being locked into Xcode, one of the things I like is that when my code is hosted by GitHub or GitLab, my issues, my pull requests, my discussions are in GitHub or GitLab. Why would I want to go with Xcode Cloud where all my discussions are locked into Xcode and I can't edit them? in GitHub or GitLab on the web browser. Like, okay, that's cool that I can have a discussion in Xcode, but sometimes like I want to be able to look at the web browser and like be able to, to edit stuff quickly without having to open up Xcode every time I want to post a discussion point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, absolutely. or, or is there a syncing mechanism, which I kind of doubt, but there could be because like GitHub and GitHub lab have both fairly open APIs, but where does that play in that? Yeah, that's, an interesting question because, yeah, first of all, like you say, we don't want to have to double entry this stuff. It has to either work with a pre-existing system or, to be fair, most people are just not going to use it, right? Right. You, you, could you imagine going to users, uh, sorry, to developers and saying, hey, uh, you know, we know that you're kind of like a real ninja with GitHub or GitLab on the web, but now right. we want you to do it in Xcode. I mean, I don't think right. that's going to be very popular, right? Right. And then also your pull requests, like all your pull requests, like those yeah. are typically done in the CI because that, or the, the repo, because it's going to be the one that ends up merging anyways. Like what, you're going to merge and get Xcode cloud and then it's going to be the one that deletes the branch or merges the branch. Like, I, I don't know if I'd trust that. Like I'd rather have yeah. GitHub or GitLab do that for me. Yeah, and then what? it's an extra layer that could potentially go wrong somewhere in the middle, right? Right. Um, you know, because let, let's be honest, right? The, the other factor that worries me here is Xcode can be kind of fragile, and now you want me to have my source code moving through Xcode up and down. I mean, I know we have hooks now for GitLab, uh, GitLab and all of that kind of thing, but now you want to trust the whole process on this somewhat fragile application sometime. And because that's the other part of this that I was thinking was, well, having all of this stuff in there with the real time and seeing that someone did a commit with this, that's all great, but I don't want it to slow down Xcode any more than it already is. If it's yeah. going to start polling in the background to constantly do a fetch and check my updates and everything else, and then the CICD with this on a bad kind of internet day, you could see this thing starting to really slow down. And that that worries me. Yep. Yeah, totally agree. Plus the security aspect as well, right? I mean, there's, we know, of course, Apple's big on security and the transport between 
my machine with Xcode and the Xcode cloud, that's all got to be good. If you're in a company network, you've got to make it through all those firewalls and everything else. Yeah. And, and you know, we talked about that in the iCloud Plus discussion on your your episode yeah so yeah i i kind of yeah i think we're on the same boat with that was there anything else you wanted to talk about when it comes to oh signing signing code signing oh talk about that yes so i did catch that one thing because not that we don't love having to go through this at least once every year redoing all of our certificates but if i understood what they said correctly i don't have to have signing certificates on my machine anymore, the Xcode cloud is going to do that for me, which also means I'm thinking in a team perspective, great. I don't have to go through and make sure the profiles and signing and is set up for all of my team members. The cloud's going to take care of it for us. Maybe we've all got one universal certificate or something like that. And it's going to remove that headache. I put in air quotes, hope. You know, because I, that would be too much living the dream, right? If it actually mm-hmm. worked flawlessly. So it's funny they talked about that because, like, that's one of the big things we talked about in the last episode with Josh was face Fastlane Match. Have you used Fastlane Match at all? I haven't used it in a production, but I've, you know, I've gone through and used it to understand it. And it's fabulous. It, it really is right. Good. So, I like... It does the job that I would ideally wish that Xcode would do on its own. So in some sense, I'm like kind of glad that it's Sherlock, but is it the benefit of that does not outweigh the risks of being locked into Xcode cloud? Yes. So like that's to me is the biggest question mark is like, that's a nice feature that should have been there in Xcode. But like now I'm like, okay, but, if I go that route and I end up not using Xcode Cloud, like, what do I do? How do I, I have to go through and reset up certificates again, uh, which is, it's not the end of the world, but it's a pain in the neck. Um, yeah. Whereas like Fastlane Match, it's like anybody can do it. It's like, you don't need any special service to do it. You just need a place to store your certificates. Well, and the other, the other part here as well is, because it can be a thing for some people. Okay, Xcode Cloud unless I've missed something and it is early days, but unless I've missed something, they're not going to open source this or anything. So, you know, again, you're going to be using something proprietary that just saying, Hey, what if a year or two years from now, it proves out to not right. very successful and they do away with it. Well, I bought into a dead system. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I think that Apple is like already decided they're going to move in this direction, obviously. And they've spent a lot of money and time on build buddy and, and doing this. So I don't think that's the case, but yeah, I I am more worried, like, why would a company invest money into this unless they know they're going to really stick with it for a long time and it works like yeah. flawlessly. Yeah. But the good thing, so one thing I did look up, like they mentioned, at least, I don't know if you would notice, was that there is a REST API to this. So hopefully, like, there is some way developers and third parties can build tools around this, because I think that... There could be some good money being made there, and I think there's some good opportunities if this ends up being a really like a service that takes off and is actually really useful to a lot of folks. Yeah. So I think that'll be good because because maybe there can be like syncing services and things like that if if that's what's missing. What's your okay? What's your guess on how much it's going to cost? <laughs> well, it's always going to be something ninety nine cents. So if I just leave it at that, it's going to be X ninety nine cents. 
It's a good question, right? Because, you know, there are third-party services out there that are really good. And their pricing models are pretty good too. But this yeah. is Apple. The first question would be, can I pay for it monthly or do I pay for it yearly? I think it's monthly. I, I was going to say, if it's monthly. I mean, I think it's both, right? But I think, yeah, basically. Right. But th- th- let's talk monthly for, for uh, you know, let's assume yearly is going to be like 20% less than the monthly, right? I'm going to assume be Apple being Apple, they never offer one solution. There's going to be a tiered system now, right? Maybe X amount of builds per per yeah. level. But right, let's right. say we've got to be looking easily at, I'm going to say somewhere between $30 and $50 a month. Yeah, okay. That sounds about right. Yeah. Per team? Per app? For a per team. user? Well, per team? See, that's the thing. Does it matter if it's for a team or not? Because if it's pulling from a repo or triggered by a repo, it shouldn't, there's no way they can really quantify or monitor how many people are making commits, right? So it would have yeah, to be true. per repo, maybe. Yeah. You know? Right. Or maybe they call it per project, right? And then a project has because it's an app instance, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna so I'm gonna guess between the 30 and the 50, but Apple, don't take my advice, right? Make it like 10. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, what's GitLab? Like seven bucks a month? Like Yeah. See, th- that's a very, you know, a really good. I think very reasonable fee. No, unless they could do like a tiered system to where they kind of do with the 30, the like what they did with the app store revenue stuff. Like, Oh, you're just a small indie. You get to use it for free. Like that would be nice. I love that idea. I, I could see them doing that as a way to get around it because they want more people to get on the service and like it and then tell their enterprise company, Hey, Excel cloud is actually really cool. We should, we should do it for our multi-global yeah. corporation app. So, like, I could see them doing that route, and if that was the route, then I could see 30 to 50 per app or repo, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Let me spin it around and ask you now, then. If, let's say it was 30, would you use it? No, no way. Okay. (laughs) So, now... I mean, it's cool. I would like to try it out in beta, but I wouldn't pay money for it. Like, I don't see the benefit because I can get all that already for free. And it's, like, already integrated in a lot of my systems, uh, like I've talked about, like, with automation, like Fastlane and um, Xcode Gen or Tuist or whatever. All that stuff is, like, I've already been using it for a year now. Like, why would I want to hop on Xcode Cloud? What's the benefit? There's some UI testing that I think is really cool. But other than that, like... I don't see the killer feature that would make me want to spend that kind of money, especially as as much money as I make off my apps. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because that was going to be my follow-up question and it was going to be my question to myself too, which is it's not necessarily what it would cost. It's that I'm used to these other ways. And it's not that I'm afraid to right. change my ways, but they're solid. They work. They're out. So we talked in the last episode about Teams. I, I won't mention, but... There are certain enterprise CI systems out there made by the same folks who made teams that I uh, I have not fallen in love with. I think that is a good use case to hop off of something like that and hop on the Xcode cloud. Yes. So that that to me makes a lot more sense than being dependent on those CI systems that I I I am not fond of. So I think that's a, that's a good use case. Honestly, it's like your enterprise system. 
Assuming those enterprise systems don't eventually move to GitHub, considering that they're under the same umbrella corporation. Whoever that may be. Yeah, right. Whoever that may be. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. But I think it's like I'm happy that Apple has dipped their toes into this, oh. regardless of whether I use the service or not. Like, I'm really glad as a company that kind of doesn't really think of developers behind like marketing and design, I'm really glad they've like really invested time on server and CI stuff. I I'm super happy about that. Um, even though I'm not going to use a server because like I've been talking about this for over a year that I think if Apple's going to be doing services, this is the kind of service short of like cloud kit services, API that does like a backend or a Lambda. Like this is actually pretty darn, pretty darn good. So I'm really happy about it. It makes me ask, like, I'm curious if this is built with Swift behind. Well, it's probably built on whatever build buddy was, but like, I'm sure there's a little bit of Swift going on in the back end there too. Uh, we, we know that from hiring. I hope so. Yeah. And it's interesting because every year they mention, you know, a little bit more of the, a little bit more dog fooding of Swift, right? We're right. now doing X and Y in, in Swift. I'm, I'm glad that they do that though. For those people who are on the fence and kind of, oh, I don't know. It's like, well, look, if the company themselves is committing to it in some way, it's going to, at some point, you're going to have to use it, you know? I'm really curious about something. I'm just going to look something up right now. Yeah. Do you think, is it SharePlay, the new API? Yes, SharePlay, yeah. Which is an interesting API in itself. I don't want to get into that, but I do want to get into your thing about Swift. I want to look real quick. In the docs, where okay, here we go. Group activities API, yeah, okay. So group activities API, big surprise. Okay. There is no Objective C documentation for group activities. Of, of course, how about that? <laughs> so, like, I think this is the further proof of like the kind of like deprecation of Objective C. Like, because yeah. I'd be curious. I am sincerely curious if any new API is going to be written for Objective C. Because Good yeah, point. I, I think like I know Swift is the future, but at the same time, like you know, there are still apps that have Objective C. So like, could you, if you're an Objective C developer, could you write something with SharePlay? Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, yeah. the case is no, you can't. And then we saw yeah. that with Swift UI, obviously, and with widgets, which we'll get into a little bit. So, but that's that's interesting. That is actually an interesting way of forcing developers to, hey, if you want some of the new coolness, you got to do it with Swift. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that because I think at some point you, you kind of sometimes, if I could not have to go back to my old code base, Objective-C, whatever it is, and keep it running as it is, I'm going to pick that option every time, right, for the most part. And I know eventually it's going to bite me one day, but I'm not thinking about that day. Well, let's be honest. As developers, we're always thinking that's the next person's problem, <laughs> right? <You know? laughs> so I'm just telling it how it is. And I say that because I still have to maintain Objective-C applications. Yeah, same here. And it, as much as every year we say maybe this year's the year, it never is. Right, right. right. Can we talk about Xcode on the iPad? Let's do it. <laughs> it's here, right? More or less. It is. Okay. And, and it, it truly is. You know, even though it's not cool. It's pretty much the way I envisioned, honestly, Xcode on the iPad was like a slow step of Swift Playgrounds being a simplified form of Xcode because Xcode is massive. And speaking of Objective-C, there's a lot of old cruft there. Swift Playgrounds 
like just adding on top of that so that you can do some very simple stuff that you essentially need for a basic app. And that's, a, that is what it is. And I like, I'm totally, I'm, yep. I don't think it's, yep. I don't think it's available actually yet. Cause I think in iOS 15, you can't get Xcode playgrounds for whatever the version is. I don't no. see it. On there. Okay. Yeah. I don't see it yet. Okay. Well, I hope it drops real soon yeah. because I am desperately want to play with yeah. it. And, and in fact, now that I think about it, I'm going to take full credit for this because I think it was like, I gotta, I'll have to go through my history. Two years ago or something like that, I said, hey, Apple, what you want to do is have a thing in the cloud where I can do it on my iPad and it gets compiled and built in the cloud. So clearly they took my advice. So I'm going to take full credit. So does the app only get built in the cloud? Uh, well, no, but I'm, uh, I'm hoping that that's what it is. Uh, right, right, right. Now, of course, the beauty of this is the M1 chip. There is plenty of power to build it on an iPad, and that's really what's happening. Right. But right. thinking about the cloud, you know, Xcode in the cloud, now that I think about it, it's either got to happen in the background or the next logical step is, well, I just pushed my code up there and it's going to build it, right? Right. Well, I mean, you could already compile Swift code on the iPad yes. technically yeah. with Swift Playgrounds. So, like, you don't really need the cloud component. So my whole thought was, so this is good for prototyping, maybe, but could you start an app, start the user interface in Swift UI, get design it essentially without a lot of the, the like, can you design a pro like a not MVP? Can you design the basics of the app without actual data and then bring it onto the Mac and then start using combine or data binding of some sort to like really bring it in and bring it in with a rest API. And then could somebody go back and check that code out on the iPad, add another UI without like all the, the complexities of data binding and things like that. Like I'm really curious if there's a way you can pick up a project and then like, if you pick up a certain class or a view, that's like really complicated. It's just like, it doesn't crash on you, but like, does at least let you add on top of it with another view. You know what I mean? Yeah. So interestingly, there was one line that caught my attention in the State of the Union. And unless I misheard it, and again, you know, haven't looked at the details, they actually said you can open the, the, the Swift Playground project, whatever you, however you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. They actually said the, this one line, they said, you can open that as a project type. You can open it on a Mac. Now, okay. what that means as far as, yeah, I can open it, but what can I do with it? Don't know yet. But at least there's some right. hope that maybe the answer is yes. And if the answer is yes, then fantastic, right? Because we can do exactly like you say. Right. And you could get like a designer on a team that has some basic knowledge of Swift UI yep. to like still work on a view while you're working on another view and starting to like really do a lot of complex combined work on it. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm curious about. Yeah, I would be very interested. These, these are all, you know, I would say for me, funny enough, the one thing I never expected, but this Swift Playgrounds update slash Xcode <laughs> on the iPad may be the biggest thing having me smiling so far this year because it is giving me what I wanted, which is, you know, can I do app stuff? And then when I do the serious work, I'm always going to go back to my Mac. It's just habit. You right. Know, even, right. And, and part of that reasoning for that is, is the huge screens you can have, right? You know, once right. you want to see the code, the canvas and everything else, 
Well, you can't really. It's awkward on an iPad, regardless of how you look at it. But I can play around with ideas and fix issues anytime on the iPad. And if I can then load that back or whatever, even if it's like you say, a designer designs the view, and then I can just take that Swift file, that UI file, bring it into my app. That's a huge win right there. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I'm too curious about it. I want to play around with it and just kind of like, I'm wondering if this is a, this is also Apple starting the, starting to give developers ideas about how to do pro apps on the iPad that augment their Mac counterparts. Yeah. We didn't see Final Cut. We didn't see Logic. We didn't see what people were hoping for. But like we do now have some idea of how Apple would like, I use Final Cut on the Mac. Like, do they have a baby version for the iPad (laughs) or like an iMovie version on the iPad, but that's compatible with Final Cut Pro on the Mac. And then that way you can like transfer projects and things like that. Maybe this is like a decent precedence there. Yeah. I mean, I think that has to be happening internally, right? You know, um, because, you know, the folks, bless them from LumaFusion, what an amazing application. And so the LumaFusion app has proven, hey, this is possible. And I think internally, maybe Apple, we, you know, we all know how they are. They could spend years working on something and they're like, okay, think we got it right now. And now we ship it. And and now we know right. the hardware limitation, maybe other than the memory issue is not the problem. You know? Right. So I feel we're right. getting closer. And maybe like you say, this is that, that first step in the water of a quote unquote pro at approach and seeing where it takes us. Did you see the icon editor, the app icon editor? I did. That tickled my fancy. Like, yeah, I want to look at that. I want to see how that works. Cause that could give me some ideas of how to edit an icon with speculate. Cause I've been wanting to add stuff like color background changes and things like that. That, that to me, actually the whole SF symbols three, I think it's going to be a much bigger, more robust with custom icons and stuff like that based on the yeah. talks that I've been looking at. So I'll be curious about that. Yeah, because, you know, I feel like the SF symbols is kind of a bit of a, you know, it's the hero in the background. I have used it so much and oh, it's yeah. beautiful. It just works. And so if you can take something like that, like you say, the the manipulation for the icon, work that in with something like Speculate. I mean, it's like, oh, you, I got my workflow right there. Right. Yeah, totally. All right. So let's get into the thing where everybody knew was going to happen. Swift 5.5, mm-hmm. and after thousands of years, we now have concurrency. We've yes. been all waiting for it. We know it's been there since Chris Latner put out his manifestos. Here it is uh, for us to play around with. One thing I found, a little gotcha. I don't know if you saw this on release note in the release notes. You need Mac OS. Uh, you need all the latest betas to run an app compiled with async and await. That's very unfortunate because I was hoping, I mean, I already have written some code with async and await because you can, you know, you can add, you can install the Swift to build. Um, and I've talked with, we, we had an episode with Vincent on and I talked about that. Vincent's been doing a hundred videos about async and await and it's awesome. Unfortunately, I'll have to like only be able to do it on my Monterey partition or on my like iOS, inst- iOS 15 installed devices. Cause like, it looks like I can't do that on Big Sur, which is really like I'm 
curious why that is. Cause that's not a, a OS limitation. That's like a language thing. Right. 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 Okay. And that's why, you know, that's been the beauty of why the Swift language has been, was basically pulled out and made separate was it wouldn't have to be necessarily dependent on OS versions. So that actually doesn't make a lot of sense unless there's some tweaks in the OS is that maybe uh, not so public, but um, again, that still breaks with the idea of these independent releases. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know again about one of our favorite sponsors of the show, AppFigures. AppFigures is a leading platform for mobile app makers to track and grow their apps. It's packed with tools for reporting, optimization, and competitive intelligence. If you're making money with, for instance, subscriptions, then you know you need to stay on top of your numbers. You also know whether it's Apple or Google, they might leave you with a lot to figure out. So luckily for us, AppFigures has worked all this out. By bringing your core metrics to the forefront and calculating key data sets like MRR or churn or whatever the stats you're looking for, they can make it easy to understand what's happening and why and give you more time to grow your subscription business. If you're not sure where to get started in analyzing subscriptions, check out their guides or head to appfigures.com to start a free trial and see how much simpler it can be. If you like it, use our special code again, Empower3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're looking at growing your indie app business or whether you're a big company who has an app in the app store and you need more exposure, you'll definitely want to check app figures out. Again, give it a try, and then if you really like it, use our code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you so much, AppFigures, for sponsoring our show. Now, the one thing I haven't played around, so Async Away, like we did an episode with Vincent. You can all check that out. Uh, I'll put that in the notes. Uh, what's your overall impression with Async Away? So I've not had to really play with it too much. And, uh, you know, I've not really had to use it in in apps, but it seems to me like it solves a lot of problems from a code complexity standpoint and therefore yeah, right. potential bugs. You know, even when you just watch the State of the Union video and the, they do their thing they love to do, where it's like this much code to this much code, you know. Yeah. Have you ever used a sync await with any other programming language? Uh, no, not in the not in the true sense of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I've not. Thankfully, or or not, depending on which way you look at it, it's not been something that I've had to be reliant on. But I can certainly think of lots of times that arguably I it may have been the better option to go with. You know, especially massive data heavy applications. Right. Uh, that's the real win. I I still. Awkward with, I, I'm still like an ES5 JavaScript developer, honestly, most of the time. It's still awkward for me. I don't do enough JavaScript to do async await in JavaScript. Uh, but I was a C-sharp developer in a previous life. And uh, when they added async await to C-sharp, it was a huge benefit. Like, I loved it. Um, I love playing around with parallel programming and all that stuff in concurrency. So, like, this is, this is fantastic to me because I'm sick and tired of, passing in closures and like not failing to call the callback when I was supposed to and like just stupid stuff like that. And so I'm, and I love promises. So I'm really like, like, I love this. I think it's going to be fantastic. 
I also like that there's refined APIs. There's stuff in Xcode 13 to like refactor your code automatically so that it uses async await. Like the, they're really dedicating um, time and energy to this. The thing that I know nothing about and I'm scared is actors. That's the stuff that I'm just like, what do I do? Like, like I get the idea like, oh, we don't want, we don't want to like race conditions and stuff like that. Right. And I've talked about this in my talk at 360 iDev uh, on asynchronous programming. Um, but like, does it fix a problem or does it make it a bigger problem? There were some threads on Twitter. I'll see if I can find about like, you might not want to use actors sometimes. I don't know. Like what's it, what's your thought on actors? Yeah. The, the actors part is, is interesting because if I'm not doing Swift, I'm doing Objective C. If I'm not doing Objective C, we also have. Uh, I also work on some React Native applications, and you know, every time you think like, finally, I've escaped JavaScript. Welcome back, JavaScript. You know, and so on. A lot of these things, I think I really need to play with the actors to under fully understand the problem that's solving for me, because as I was watching it in State of the Union. And and what I've read up to this point, sort of knowing that this was coming, I understand the idea behind it. I just don't get the benefit of why I would use it over some of the more, you know, I was going to say conventional, but the older ways, right? Why would I rewrite my code right. this way? And so I'm really interested this week to watch some of the videos for them to convince me that, okay, actors make sense. You know, and, and right. you should use it. It's one of those things like dispatch queues that you can go, You that's really powerful and you could do it totally wrong because you overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you know that when Apple makes a big thing of these, it, it's because it's it's going to help me in some way. But some, you know when it's sometimes you feel like it's Apple saying, do this, trust us. And it's like, yeah, but I really want to know why, you know. And that's kind of where I'm at at the moment is I want to embrace these things. It's kind of like the, like you say, the async. It's like, okay, we get it. You know, it makes a lot of sense. But it's almost sometimes it's like, explain it to me again, but let me do it in one of my apps so I can see the benefit from it. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking over the talks. So there's like a, there is protect mutable state with Swift actors that comes out tomorrow so that's probably yeah. the one that's going to be like yeah. exactly what you're yeah. looking for so yeah it's a total it's a language feature i have no experience with so i'm like i'm in the same boat i'm like really curious what this means yeah i mean it's it's one of those that i feel like you know sometimes you get that gut feeling of i it's kind of like when swift came out and i had that gut feeling of i should embrace this you right. know i'm not sure right. why yet but just something tells me this is the thing i need to have but also it could be the thing that you slap onto everything and people are like, yeah, yeah you're not supposed to do it, that. Right? Yeah. 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 It's kind of that class is struct, right? It's like, just make a struct. Don't keep making classes all the time, you know? So that covers concurrency. I wanted to talk about Swift UI. So another good refinement year. Speaking of yeah, Swift UI, I'm going to have geo Lodi on uh, the next episode to talk about test-driven development with Swift UI, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit about Xcode Cloud and how that works, because I think um, he's got a new book coming out. I think that's going to be fantastic yes. about that. Um, and one of the things is, like, they're actually using it to build apps, which I find, like, 
that's a good sign. I'm really happy about that because if they're building apps using Swift UI, we know they've built apps with Catalyst, which by the way, they didn't mention at all. Like that to me is... Thank goodness they didn't mention. Do you think so? Do you think like... Yeah. I, have you have you done any... I've not, I've not done anything in Catalyst and I have no interest in it because it's like, for me, I'm not bringing an app from iOS. I'm starting a brand new app. So it's like, I'm just going to do Swift UI and just go straight that way. Yeah. No, to me... And I, I've heard some other folks say this, but I played around and I stopped because to me it felt like one of those, wow, this is just such a like interim transitional thing and it's going to go away. And I'm still hoping that that's going to be the case because it just feels like it's filling that gap between the two that we know we have, right? but we have no intention of keeping this thing around. So I eventually I was like, well, that's interesting. That's great. Thanks. Moving on. I might as well just jump to the final solution. If you're Twitter and you have an iOS app, then yeah, okay. It makes sense to just move it over to Catalyst. If there's just like not a lot of gain by going with a totally native Mac app, then that may, and you already have existing code, that makes total sense. So I, I'm looking at the yeah. talks and there's like, um, there's qualities of a great Mac Catalyst app and there's what's new in Mac Catalyst. And like, that's pretty much it. Um, and then there's like, funny enough, there's an app qualities of a great iPad and iPhone app. Cause now we got that this year, right? Where you can actually have an iPhone app in the Mac, uh, on Macs with M1. So that's even another yeah. venue you could go with, uh, if you already have an existing iOS app and you want to move it to the Mac. So it's kind of unsurprising. Like you said, it's a transition transitional phase. So they have, they're using Swift UI to build maps, photos, forgot what other, those are the two big ones I remembered. And then it definitely looks like this is the future of where all Mac, like all Apple development is going as far as on device. Um, there's some new additions to list. We have a table now in Mac OS, like an actual table, uh, which is cool. Um, one thing, there was a Reddit post in the Swift forum about or a Reddit post on the Swift subreddit about, adding so i knew that they were adding modifiers for specific platforms um so that i think is really cool it a lot of people don't like it because it feels like a band-aid but i think it's better than nothing honestly because as somebody who builds apps on multiple platforms like i need to be able to have the css selector equivalent on swift ui where i can say if this is a different device i need this and if it's on a ipad it needs this like i just i need that anyways yeah. No, I agree with you. I think, you know, the additions to the list, uh, component control were nice. I really am interested in this modifiers for, you know, platform or device because whether we like it or not, sometimes, and this is what I found with my Swift UI as I've been working on personal projects to kind of as an excuse to really like, how can I break Swift UI? And it wasn't that hard is there are these fringe cases where you're going to need something like this to make it work. Otherwise right. you're best waiting until Swift UI is another few years older and people are not going to wait that long. We certainly shouldn't wait that long to learn the technology and so sometimes you've got to go with the Band-Aid. If I've learned anything from building React Native apps, it's kind of that Band-Aids are okay if they get you to the shippable version. But also, like, people have an expectation that Apple is going to know exactly what you want an app to look like on every device. And, like, 
like in some some UI elements, I could see that, but on some, like you want to customize it based on the OS and on the device. And I think it makes sense in that case. Yeah, because they're almost, you know, you mentioned CSS, and in some ways, it's a little bit like the media queries, right? Right. When I'm That's viewing exactly my website on mobile, I'm not going to want to have, for example, all of this padding around the edge like I would on a desktop. Well, um, this is something that gives me the ability with SwiftUI to have something like that in there so that I can. Now, because like you mentioned, running uh, iOS apps on the M1 chips on macOS, and I have been really surprised how well that works. And okay, so, what apps have you been running on, on the Mac? So, you know, I tried a couple. I tried, uh, I, I used Overcast, and what that taught me was, it's like basically it makes an iPad version of your app when running okay, it on desktop. Right. And that's okay. like perfect. This just works exactly how it should as if I was using an iPad. Same with um who is it else? Somebody else made one. Um I think it was the documents app, and I forget, I think it's a Readle who makes that app. Okay. And okay. uh it works just like the iPad version. And you know, a few others that I sort of tried. I tried the ones for the for the day job and fearing the worst, but they just worked exactly as they should, like iPad apps. And so I walked away with a really happy feeling about this. I'm feeling (laughs) confident that it works and we can do this, you know. Um, Didn't have to do anything and you just installed it and it ran and it was fine. I was like, perfect. If only, so the next step to me would be like, if only we can not depend on like geometry reader to figure out the size of stuff. That would be a big, big help as well. Because yeah, that's a lot of put it on the list for next year, right? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they're running short of ideas and they don't know what to do next year. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe they're listening to this podcast. They're like, who's a genius? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, they obviously when they picked up on my iPad X code and the cloud thing. So I don't see why they shouldn't take this idea for that. Yeah. Well, it's funny, uh, Josh Schaefer, who's one of the presenters, I was talking to him on Twitter about like the future of Majid, who who has a really great blog on uh, Majid uh, Jabrioff, who has a really great blog on Swift UI. And he's been on the podcast. He, he knows a lot. And he's like worried about the future of combined because of async await. And I think like, and, and Joshua, I'll send you a, send you a link, but, Josh, but I said like, you could still use Swift. There are cases where you want to use async and await with combine because then you can wrap it in a future. And Josh was just saying like, you don't actually need to wrap it in a future on Swift UI. You can actually just change it like on, on the spot. I'll send you a link to it, but yeah, uh, I great. thought that was really cool. Cause Josh was one of the presenters today. And uh, I would assume he knows this stuff, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, that's the other thing too is, okay. You know, if we have combine, I don't think combine will go away anytime soon. So if we can have more than one option to find the right one for our problem, fantastic, right? I mean, right. And I think that's the ideal in, in a situation. That's what's so great about Swift is like, if you want to do functional programming, you could do functional programming. If you want to just do object oriented, you could do just object oriented. Right. You have a set of tools. And uh, if you want to do actors, you can do actors, but just don't overdo it. So like you have that option option tied to you. So that's pretty nice. Oh, I, yeah. So I'm looking at at his his comments here. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's great. Go with whatever option works for you. Right. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, exactly. Or maybe play with both, understand both, 
and then go with the one that's the right solution for now. But if you are in a situation where you're you're forced to use one in the future, okay, you you got it covered. Yeah, and he's right. It's a difficult question to answer because it's a, it's kind of abstract. It's 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 a it depends qu- question, right? Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> cool. So I want to go over the stuff that I don't want to go over because I want to get it out of the way. <laughs> but. Uh, AR, we have object capture. I'm re- speaking of like, we talked previously uh, in the, in the episode I was on with you was like, Oh, we we're talking about like uh portrait mode on video. Right. Yeah. And that, that's my same question with like object capture. Like what kind of device do you need for that? Cause I assume even though you have iOS 15, is that sufficient to like use photography to scan uh, a pair of sneakers? That is really cool. Cause I feel like that's one of the big yeah. burdens with AR kit is like, I'm not going to go into Maya or Cinema 4D and like spend a week trying to model something 3D. I've done it before. Trust me. I'm not, I, I, that is not my calling. I realized that in grad school. Um, but like, it's cool to see like this, like scanning stuff. And I had always assumed they were going to go the LIDAR approach, but this doesn't look like anything like that. It just seems like photography, right? Right. And I wondered that too, because, you know, well, first of all, so my first introduction to sort of this this whole 3D modeling thing way back, and I'm going to show my age now, is back in the day, we used to do it when we would take it into a 3D studio before it was all fancy and everything. And there'd be this device. I don't, I can't, I don't even have anything old enough to demonstrate it. But if you think of like a boom arm for a microphone and it had a pen on the end, and you would move it around and tap the pen on the device. And that's how it would map the points by the uh, That makes sense. So yeah. as a guy that came from that, anything's a plus. But right. yeah. I question how, well, first of all, I'm telling myself there must be more cleanup to the data than they really showed us because. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's a, that's a typical machine learning thing. You let the yeah. brains of the machine figure that one out. Yeah. But then I'm also thinking, hey, if it is just, I thought the same thing, which is, well, there must be the LIDAR, right? And they use the depth, and that's how you get the perfect geometry because that's just going to work. But then I thought, if it's photographs, how's it going to know for sure this is the object I want and do away with the rest, right? So in the video when they showed like a, I think it was like a chest, a wooden chest on a table. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I yep. thought, are they selectively picking this because it's easy for the camera to tell the difference between the chest and the desk that it's sitting on? And that's how it works. So there's got to be some machine learning that tells you, okay, this is a good photo. Keep going, right? Like Panorama has a guidance to it. If you're scanning a document, there's usually some sort of guidance to it. Like machine learning is going to pick it up as to when that photo is good enough. And then it'll say, okay, move to the left, move to the left, move to the left and keep rotating around the object. I'm sure there's some like, it's not just, you know, here, just take a bunch of random photos and throw it into the nap. It's probably more like a process where it's like, okay, we will give you directions on how to do this and tell you when it's sufficient to where we have enough information for the actual model. I, I bet that's probably the situation uh, we'll, we'll know in a month or so, but yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe that and a combination of the sensors, uh, the gyroscope and that on the whatever it may be, phone and that. Because I'm reminded of, uh, it was a few years ago, a friend of mine had an Android device and they were doing, I forget what they called them, but you know there was that thing on Android 
You can move the camera around to essentially like you're standing in a sphere and capture the whole environment around you. And it intelligently maps them all to give you like this 3D kind of AR thing where you could then move around and see it. And it would do the same thing. It would tell you like, oh, you've got a gap here and you need to take a picture for this. Great. Now you've got to do this. It's felt very similar. But whatever the, the logic is they have going behind it, I'm super impressed because even if it works 50% as good as what they showed, that's still a yeah. huge improvement. And a, even if it's not perfect, you look at it and you go, wow, next year's version is going to really nail this, you know? Right. And not, stuff is not going away. Like they're going to keep talking about it and talking about it and perfecting it. Like yeah. they, oh, we yeah. know that there's some sort of hardware down the line that's going to be yeah. using this. So like that's, we know that. So besides AR, the other technology that I have little to no experience with is metal. And of course they gave us a game demo because we always go to WWDC for a game demo. I don't know why they do that. Like, I don't know what the point is besides showing off, but I'm, I don't play games on my Mac and I don't know a lot of people play yeah, games I on don't. my Mac. Like what do you, what do you have? What kind of console do you have? So uh, I'm, I have a PC that I use for, okay. for some games. Because I, because I have it, right? It wasn't a case of, oh, I should go buy a PC. I, I just had it. Okay. But the one that I love the most by far is my Nintendo Switch. And okay. I think you, you have a, a Switch as well. I have right? a Switch. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm the same as you. I've ne- now, I've never think about playing games on my Mac. And the primary reason is not because I don't think it'll handle it. I worry about the thermal problems. Oh, that's true. That's a really good point. I yeah. mean, at least without silicon, right? But also, yeah. like, they don't, like, the game The game problem with Apple is, like, I don't, they don't really, like, in the same way we talked about services previously, I don't feel like they really, like, dedicate to it. They don't really, like, go whole hog into it. Like, I know Apple Arcade seems to be half decent. Like, it seems to be going in the right direction. Um, but, like, they don't do the things that game companies do like really dedicate the resources to making game, like making the Mac or making the iPad a gaming device. And then they do everything they can to like block all the streaming stuff from working half the time. So like, yeah, I don't know. Like the problem with gaming isn't metal. Like nobody's like, man, I wish metal was more powerful. It's like, no, I want to use unity. I want to use unity to build it. And I don't care. Like, if it works on the Mac, because who cares? We don't have anybody that uses the Mac. Like that's, it's a business problem and a compatibility problem more than it is anything else. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Uh, Unity is the only platform I've ever built a game on and never bothered to do it on any other. And it's also interesting that Apple themselves, you know, like last year, I think it was when they're saying about, oh, you know, Unity uses the new pipelines and so on. So you know that Apple has no interest in something when they're happy to talk about some other company doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But it is interesting, too, though, that you say, you know, here we are saying about how Apple's not really into the gaming thing, but it's odd that they now support PlayStation controllers and Xbox controllers on the iPad. And I think I subscribe to the theory that the Apple TV is the console that's not a console yet. Right. Um, but you wonder too, with, you know, without going down the rabbit hole, with the changes to the home pod and 
you know, the Apple TV and that. It's like, oh, maybe we're getting to that pivot point where we see a Apple console that's not a console. They need to have a good games library for serious gamers, though. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never thought to play games on my Apple TV. I got to be honest, and I love my Apple TV. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, every time I'm like, I'm just going to pick up the Switch. This thing, I can take it everywhere. It's fantastic. And, it, right. You know, the Switch to me is phenomenal because I never thought it would be anywhere near as good as it is. And it just works. Like it's. Simple. Yeah, I mean, it's like turn it on, away I go, right? Speaking of a company that doesn't know how to do cloud, like, you know, say what you will about Nintendo, like at least. Uh, like the switch works like it's it's easy to get started as a really good games library and mm-hmm. like yeah so so yeah the metal i've never had any reason to look at it yeah yeah same here yeah. okay so the three big apis i want to close out with focus sounds really cool in theory yeah and i'm really cool curious like i'm assuming that most of the focus api stuff has to do with notifications i think that that's going to be really good. I think we're, I'm glad to see some more granularity on D and D do not disturb. Oh, and gosh, it, they yes. continue to make notifications more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The notifications as I, I briefly, I feel like it was a brief rant in, in our ep- keynote episode. <laughs> For me, it was a brief rant. Um, you know, notifications need some serious, it needs a serious look at. And I feel like they, that that's what they're doing because you know, I I feel the system's broken now. Not broken in the technical sense, broken in the usage sense. Yeah. You talked about big box companies uh, notifying you. Is there anything else you wanted to say about notifications that you didn't say in the previous uh, keynote thing? Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, for me, I'm very happy with what I saw. I thought that the introduction of the grouping of notifications was a good thing. And so the changes that they're, putting in place here to take advantage of, you know, with the, uh, what was it? The priority level, is it they called it? of the notification? Yeah, something like a score, I believe. Yeah. And I'm really curious how that goes too. Yeah. So I, I think that these are really good things. I may actually yeah. turn some back. And hopefully me. like app developers don't abuse it. Like where's my app store review to like tell people, Hey, you're not, you're not doing your, you're not doing the focus scores. Right. So yeah. hopefully that, that works out for the best. Hey folks, it's that time again. The best Swift developer event in the known universe begins. At least that's what it says on the website, but it is an awesome event. If you heard John Wilker on our previous podcast episode, you know I'm talking about 360 iDev. This year, they're going to be doing something a little bit different with a hybrid event. You can choose between three different tickets, an in-person attendee, online attendee, and the in-person all in, which includes a continental breakfast, conference Wi-Fi, amongst other things. 360 iDev is one of the strongest communities out there when it comes to iOS, Mac, and other Swift development platforms. And they've been serving the community for, gosh, 12 years now. They've come a long way. They're not done being awesome and helping the community thrive, and they're going to crush it in 2021 just as they did in 2020. So you'll definitely want to check it out. Joe Chaplinski who spoke in a previous episode about subcontracting will also be their keynote speaker. And I know from the release notes podcast that he is a solid speaker and he's going to bring a lot to the table. I'm really looking forward to hearing Joe speak. 
So I highly recommend checking out 360 IDEV this year, August 22nd to 25th in Denver. Or if you need to, they have an online ticket as well if you want to go that route instead. Listeners of the podcast can get 25% off registration by using the promo code EMPOWERAPPS. Again, 360 IDEV is this year, Denver or online, between August 22nd to 25th, with, I know, a great selection of speakers and a really great way to find others in the community and throughout the world. Get your ticket today and sign up, and I look forward to seeing you there. Yeah. What I hope, though, is we don't start having problems in app reviews because we didn't set our priorities correctly. Because that, yeah, that's that could be a thing. That could bite you. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. As a parent, I'm really happy to finally see Screen Time API. We all know the saga from a couple of years ago. Them uh, shutting down several uh, parent control apps that were using uh, enterprise certificates or for MDM certificates or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, They were using those to control the phones. Uh, Apple did not like that. So now we actually have a real screen time API for parents. I am really curious about how it works. I have like two iPhones or two or three iPhones that I use, let the kids use and the iPad too. Like they're all signed into my Apple ID. So I'm, I'm hoping that like it still works out that like they can still be my, my devices, but I can let the kids borrow them with screen time and not have to use, uh, was it guidance? restriction guidance. That's how I do it now. So we'll see how that goes. I'm really curious. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was I was very happy to see these because I think right behind privacy concerns being the biggest one, safety concerns is right behind it as the second one because, you know, we live in a world now, everybody of all ages has these devices and we can't be monitoring them all the time. So having the ability to set some of these things is really important. Yeah. Right. And for someone else, not just like, I want to, not a hack on top of restrictions, which is essentially what it's been since restrictions was first, first added to iOS. So, yeah. And I feel that this is another area where, you know, Apple does it so much better than, than other companies too. Really? Like how is, have you used Android? No, no. Okay. I'm just curious how Android parental controls work because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, normally um, everybody that I know with kids with an Android device, even developers that end up saying, yeah, the kids figured out how to get around it. And done it. Okay. <laughs> so so I, I took that as the sign of like, okay, I know kids are smarter these days, but it can't be that great. If you can turn, <laughs> if they can get around the very system designed to not get around, that is not a good start, you know. Right, right. Plus, I'm also worried, I'll be honest, if I experiment with my Android device, I might end up locking myself out of it. And I don't want that to happen. I did that <laughs> once with languages to test multiple language support. Took me forever to figure out how to get it back to English again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You have to like memorize which the button order and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's not imagine. easy. <laughs> SharePlay API. This looks really cool. So... I'll let you explain what is the SharePlay API. We talked actually, we talked already a little bit about the the activities how, API or whatever it was called, and how it's like only available in Swift. So this looks like another sign that Swift is definitely. If you haven't been convinced yet, you're convinced further that Swift is the future, and if not Swift UI, so yeah, go ahead. I'll let you explain the SharePlay API. 
Yeah. So yeah, if you want to use this, you, you got to get with the Swift. So as I understand it, this is an API that essentially, I, I think it's fair to say most things that I do, right? So let's say I'm listening to music, watching a video, FaceTime. I think the new changes with FaceTime work with this pretty closely. Essentially, it enables me to share what I'm doing on my device, in particular the content, with other people. Now, which is greatly simplifying what it does. But essentially, I can be watching a video and I can be like, hey, Leo, you know, we should we should hang out and watch this together. Right. So I can share it with you. And now, you know, we essentially both it's like a watch party at that point. Right. Exactly. Which has been a big thing over the last year for good reasons. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately for Apple, this feels like the thing that if they'd have done this back in March and they had no way of knowing to be fair to them. More March of previous year. Yeah. Yeah. If this thing was here last year, they, they their market would just be, you know, crazy because think about it, right? We can be in any location and it's not just two of us. We could be a family in multiple locations. And a good example would be, you know, like for me, I'm here in Texas, right? Obviously, I'm not from Texas, but I could share with my family back in England, like Christmas morning or something, we can, hey, that film we used to watch as kids, we can all watch it together now, right? Yeah. And it's, it's assuming it's the like time zones work out. Well, you know, they're the ones that would have to get up in the middle of the night. I ain't doing <laughs> that. <laughs> that. That's how, you know, I always use that time zone thing to stay younger every year for another six hours before the birthday kicks in. Well, nice, nice. Yeah. But um, but that's what it does, right? It's essentially a content party, I think, is the way to describe it. Yeah. And is it just video? Like, is it just video? Is there like a server component to this? That's what I'm really curious that's about. That's what I'm wondering because the other questions I have with this is, okay, I'm, I have no doubt – that it's secure, it's going to use Apple IDs, things like that, and we're good. But what I'm wondering is if I want to watch, a, let's say, Leo, let's say I want to watch a movie with you, and I rent the movie, and if it says that I can share it with you, but you didn't rent the movie, there may be some issues there, right? Because people are going to lose revenue at that point. So I really wonder what the specifics are. So there's like, obviously, like with, with most streaming services, like the, you both have to be paying participants in order to use it. Right. That's what so I, I think, think that would be, that would be the way you'd get around it. And then, so I'm just kind of curious about like, what, what is the information that you're passing along? That's what I'm looking at right now is like their API for this. And then yeah. can you do this on the web? Can you do this on windows? Can you do this on Android? Because there's a part of me that, like, I wouldn't want to lock, I wouldn't want to be locked out of, a like, going back to our thing about FaceTime, um, I don't want to be locked out. And, like, I don't want to lock out people. Like, I want this app to be used everywhere. So yeah. that would be the concern that I have with this stuff is, like, can I do this on other platforms outside of Apple? Right. Because I wonder at what level this is implemented. I'm thinking that they were smart about this, right? Because the FaceTime, we know works, these new changes will work with Windows, work with Android. So I'm thinking that it's at a low enough level that if they, they use this SharePlay API, that 
it'll work on other platforms in some sense, maybe a limited capacity, but it would still work. And then also, how open is this for third-party apps to use it, right? So right. now we're talking about, you know, like you and I, uh, we edit Google documents at the same time, things like that. Well, what if I've got a third-party? Uh, good example, right? We were talking earlier on about Bear Notes. Well, what if Bear Notes was able to turn this service on and you and I can edit in Bear Notes together at the same time? I mean, right. what a great right. win for third-party apps. I think like what it's going to end up being, I think you have to be on the Apple platform to use it. I think like there is no server component. I think like somebody kind of like a land party, right? Somebody's going to be the server, the master, whatever. Yeah. And I think that's probably going to be the way it works. And then maybe at some point we'll see Apple open this up to uh, like other platforms and have a web API attached to it maybe, or have like, uh, REST API and some way you can run run a server on this or something like that. But I think this is like kind yeah. of the first step in that direction. If, if they're going to okay ever grow with it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's great. I mean, I think that this is, this is a big win for, for Apple with not only, you know, of course, okay. If you've got to have an Apple device, well, maybe somebody else, you know, like, let's say, for example, one scenario, right? Um, you know, some family member far off doesn't get to come and visit very often. They don't have any Apple devices. Okay, but if they bought an iPad or something like that, and now they're, you know, we can do this sharing because now that I'm thinking, it's a little bit like some of those other devices by other companies that have become like that home portal kind of yeah. FaceTime. Right, exactly. And, you know, Apple being Apple, of course, they always do it slightly, at least slightly smarter than other people, which says, you don't need another device. You need to use the device you already have. And this is the answer. Yep. Yeah, totally. Anything else you want to talk about with SharePlay? No, I, I think, I think, you know, it's kind of a V1 feature. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. And, you know, again, even if it just works at a basic level, it's a step forward. That as it progresses over the years, it, it's going to become very much the, yeah, we don't have apps anymore that need to integrate with these features. It's a system level thing. Yep. Yeah, totally. Last but not least, widgets. So we got some improvements to widgets this year, it looks like, right? Finally, widgets on aren't just on the first page of the iPad. It can be on all sorts of Pay app pages. Um, we have uh, different kinds of stacks, uh, not just smart stacks. It looks like, right? Did I say that right? right? I think I think that's right. Yeah. And then, so you could do your own custom stack as well as smart stacks. Uh, they offer widget suggestions, which I think is really good because, like, sometimes you don't even know what apps have widgets attached to them. And we also have an extra large widget uh, as well. What's like your, over the last year, I guess, what's been your impression of widgets? So widgets have been an interesting experience for me learning about how I use my devices. When widgets first came out on the iPhone, I was really excited because it was one of the things on Android that I really liked. It may actually have been the only thing on Android that I really liked. <laughs> um, so when we got them on the iPhone, I was like, fantastic. So you know, I set up a few widgets. And in fact, where's my phone here? Let me show you. Hold on. 
because we were talking about this earlier. And as you can see, I'm actually now down to just four widgets, but they're really important widgets to me. Now, I like having a clean screen with just the widgets and then apps on other screens. Right. What's What I've learned, though, is firstly, you're quite right. The discovery of widgets is definitely needed because I'd install apps and I'd never think to go and look and see if it had a widget. But I also learned that I'm not using them as much as I thought, but I don't know if the problem is the way they're implemented or the way that companies are making, you know, the the widgets that they make available. And I'm still not sure which one that is. So when today Mm -hmm. they announced that the widgets were coming to the iPad, first of all, I was excited. I was like, great, this is, you know, fantastic because I have my iPad set up. You know, you can have it set up that you've got that one side where there's some permanent kind of widgets and then the rest of the I always felt like that wasn't enough. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I like that I can break free from that for the widgets that I have. But I've also discovered over the year that widgets are not as much of a thing for me as I thought they would be. Okay. But now that they're on iPad and we have this extra big size, maybe that's a sign that, you know, app developers will embrace them more and do more interesting things with them. Okay. Because like, for example, on my phone, I have a weather one, which is the built-in weather one. I have one for batteries, so I can see the batteries on all my devices. Uh, I have an email one. I use Canary email, so I've got that. And then I don't even remember what the fourth. Oh, um, let's have a look here. Oh, sorry. Uh, OmniFocus is my, my other widget. Oh, nice. Even if I just have those on an iPad display, that's good. I'm happy with that. But if companies yeah. start doing more interesting things with them, I would be more inclined to have more widgets. But I can't get, it's funny how you get used to things because I cannot get out of the habit of using Spotlight for just about everything on the iPad. So I don't even necessarily need a widget for email. I could just, you know, command space and start typing the name of the app, right? Right. So I have, I do uh, intermittent fasting. So I have a fasting widget. I have a water tracker. I have photos. And I have my uh, social media feed. And that's, yeah. I mean, I use widgets quite a bit to track my activity and just make my home screen a little bit more than just a bunch of apps. Like, I don't, I don't miss that. Like, I'm really glad to have widgets. And I've really liked it. It's been one of my surprising features that I really like about the, about uh, iOS 14. So I'm really looking forward and like the extra large one. I'm really curious about that too. Uh, I'm going to test that out on one of my uh, iPhones that I've upgraded just recently. So it looks like they, they, they're going to continue developing on this feature because I think it's been a big hit from last year. And I think it's, it's going to go a lot of places. Yeah. And I think that what I'm going to be interested to try is using that first screen on my iPad full of widgets as essentially my daily dashboard, right? Nice. So if those widgets are updating themselves in a good, timely way, and I can just have it next to me on my desk as a dashboard that I don't have to interact with, it just updates itself. Yeah, I'll do that. That that would be a win for me. Yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because I'm with you. Like seeing the app icons, when you get past a couple of pages of apps, 
it's all just a blur and you don't even bother looking at that point, right? That's what app library is for. It is, well, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you about that app library. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, that's, again, that's by command space for me every time. Can't find it? Don't bother looking. Right. Spotlight. Spotlight right. does it, is so good on the iPad that that's such a win for me having that there. Um, I yeah. use it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes having a keyboard attached to an iPad so awesome is like, then you like, you're used to that pattern just like you are on the Mac. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because rarely do I use my iPad without a keyboard because, right. uh, you know, it's if I'm the only times I can think that I use my iPad without any kind of keyboard or cover that has something like that in it is because I'm going to use it in portrait mode for reading something. That's about the only time I think I do it. That don't use one. Yeah, it was a bit, you know, for what seems like a not very busy year for a keynote and a state of the union. There was actually a lot in there under the hood. Right, right. I have a lot. I've already gone through. I've marked what I'm going to be watching over the next week, and it's yeah, it's going to be a lot of stuff. I'm really excited to to hopefully catch up on. Sometimes with these WWDCs, like, like there's all these videos I queue up and then it's like, I maybe watch about half of them and then I'll watch. I have actually watched a few and gone back to help clarify some stuff. So yeah, I, I do um, the same thing. I, it's going to be know, a busy in week. Fact, it was this, the weekend just gone. I was watching one from uh, WWDC 19, I think it was. Because yeah. it was something that I did, you know, again, like you bookmarked, never watched at the time, but now it's relevant, you know. Yeah. And I love, you know, the developer app is great for, for being able to do that. Uh, yeah. Because a lot of totally. the time with this newer stuff, when you go like Google it online, the, the information you find is not exactly the most accurate, you know. So being able yep. to trust the source, um, it's nice to have them there. So, yeah, I got to go through today and make my little checklist of things that I might get to this year. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got like, we got just some other things we didn't even mention. We have a uh, test flight for the Mac. We have. Oh yeah. Reality kit Two, nearby interaction, more stuff with there with the uh, U1 chip Shazam kit, which that's going to be interesting to see. Oh, the documentation stuff. I don't oh, know if yeah. you've looked at that. That is going to be really awesome. I'm looking forward to looking into that. Safari web extensions on iOS. Oh, yeah, we totally. I mean, it's funny you mentioned those because test flight for the Mac and Safari extensions on the iPad, that's two huge things right there. Yeah, there's a whole new set of apps that you can yeah. build now. I'm just looking through this quickly, make sure we don't miss anything. But like... The documentation stuff, I'm really curious about the because I feel like Playgrounds never took off the way people wanted them to as far as creating tutorials and things like that. So maybe yeah. I, I hope that goes goes somewhere. Text Kit 2. Let's see what else we've got. Yeah, there's a lot going on this year. Um, yeah. My brain's going to explode, you know, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and and I was, I, I guess, like a closing comment kind of thing. It really felt like a de uh, the start of a developer's conference this year as opposed to a marketing conference, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I do yeah. want to say thank you to Apple for realizing that, you know, hey, even despite all the recent press and everything else, 
thank you for actually paying attention to the developers this time around, right? Yeah, this was really good. And the really good video quality as usual. Great job, presenters. Oh, yeah. Anything else you want to say before we close out? No, I mean, I think I think the next thing for me, for you and everybody else is, okay, let's start the daily run of videos and, you know, see what features we come up with at the end of it. But I think it's going to be another great year. I know that I'm going to say I'm not going to install the beta ones and maybe quietly in the middle of the night I will. Uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, or maybe what I might do is I'll wait till tomorrow. And then I'll go, Hey, Leo, how's that working out for you? <laughs> yeah, I gotta. Yeah. 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 But I will, I will download the Xcode one for sure. That that's right. Gonna happen. But I don't think I'm brave enough yet to, to do the OS. No. <laughs> Crash your whole system in the middle of, of working on something. Well, I say that, but of course, you know, like I say, this one's waiting, waiting for Monterey. <laughs> yeah, I got it right here. I got it right here. Where could people find you online? Uh, you can find me at Compile Swift on just about anything. CompileSwift.com would be the main place, but any social networks or anything like that, Compile Swift and the podcast as well. I usually have an opinion somewhere along the way, so <laughs> that'd be me. Yeah. And if you want to hear more of Peter's opinion on App Library and uh, whatever else we talked about on the keynote, I'll provide a link to our discussion on Compile Swift about the keynote today. Thank you again, Peter. Yeah, thank you. We, you know, we shouldn't scare them off. It's like, hey, you know, just don't ask him about App Library. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Leah, thank you so much for inviting me on again. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm so glad you had this idea this year. I think. I think this is fantastic. So thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. People can find me online at uh, on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. Uh, we also have our YouTube channel, Bright Digit, where the video will be up there. And if you have any questions for us, please let me know on Twitter. Feel free to DM me. Also, please take some time to fill out the survey as well. I'd love to get your input on the future of the podcast. Thank you again. And I am looking forward to getting some rest after a long day. <laughs> Talk to you later. Thank you.